0: Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, my guest is Jason Murchie, the author of Wisdom, a very valuable virtue that cannot be bought. Jason is the founder of Values of the Wise, author of five books, and someone with a deep interest in ancient philosophy, virtue ethics, and human nature. In the conversation, Jason and I discuss practical philosophy, the wisdom of doubt and skepticism, finding balance between knowing and not knowing, what we can know for sure, the value of quotes and aphorisms, wisdom and daily life, and so much more. I really enjoyed the conversation, and before we get to the episode, I want to encourage you to check out Jason's website, which is valuesofthewise.com. He has a quote database that I I think you're going to enjoy. You can type in any keyword, wisdom, for example, and get a huge list of quotes connected to your topic from ancient philosophy to present day. It's really impressive, so check it out. All right, without any further delay, Please welcome the wise and gracious Jason Murchie. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you. Uh, wonderful to be here. I always uh, enjoy talking with somebody who uh, you know cares not only about wisdom as you do, but also uh, quotations, which you know, not every. Philosopher who's interested in, in big ideas thinks that quotations are particularly valuable or interesting or or uh, you know reliable. So uh, I'm glad we're uh, discussing this stuff.
0: Nice, me too. And I said last time we got together that uh, I may have found someone that likes quotations more <laughs> more than I do, which is a, a strong statement. But I'm I'm excited today to discuss your book, Wisdom a very valuable virtue that cannot be bought. But before we get into the book, we generally start off with, with some sort of question around what started you on this path to searching for fill-in-the-blank, and in this case, we'll, we'll say wisdom.
1: Well, it's, it's a long answer. Uh, I'll see if I can hit the high points. Uh, I was born uh, Jewish in a relatively <clears throat> Christian area uh, Southern California. So there was also, you know, a decidedly non-religious, uh, uh, influence, but, you know, I always felt a little different than other people since I didn't have, um, I mean, we went to the, the temple on Sundays, but I just kind of felt like, uh, that wasn't really, um, a home for me or something. There was just something about it. I don't know. Maybe I was, I was vain and I wanted to hang out with the, uh, the Baptists at their, at their summer camp, which was the most exciting thing that a kid could do in in uh, Downey California um, but uh, you know so I was I was sort of meant to be relatively unmoored as I grew up and then and then when I reached um, 15 uh, my parents got divorced and so for maybe you know 10 to 15 there were there was trouble you know uh, rocky uh, or not rocky but uh, uh there was there was a, a storm at sea, you know, in my in my life, and, and then finally the divorce was kind of the end of it, and so you know I kind of didn't didn't do well in school at that point either, uh, and so I think everything that a that a child or adolescent would cling to, except for maybe my friends, was um, either tumultuous or or um, absent or causing me uh, insecurity, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's also mental illness in my family, so I was coping with that as a teenager, um, not just within myself, because uh, obviously those things are you know, passed on to some degree genetically, um, but also because my father was quite mentally ill um, once the divorce had occurred and my mother had moved far away. So I was living with my dad going to junior college, and it was just kind of a, Tough time. And that's when I, I took a philosophy class. I, I I had a philosophy class in in my senior year of, of high school, and then um, once I reached college, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna take philosophy right out of the gate, and uh, and I did. And you know, I also took math uh, and English, and philosophy just seemed like such a wonderful class, uh, a beautiful. It's like a, this new vista opened up to me, you know, this idea of there's this thing called philosophy. And, uh, you know, throughout the centuries, people have been discussing things, arguing about things, trying to find the truth about things, um, delving into things like justice and uh, goodness and such. Uh, I'm just sort of really interested in those, those values um, and, and, and virtues and what they, what they mean. Um, since it's a little challenging to find quick and easy definitions for those phenomena. Um, and then of course, how, how it can be, how, how philosophy and, and values and virtues can be utilized to live a better life, a life that is, you know, good, uh, flourishing, etc., One based on, uh, you know, things like wisdom and, and goodness, um, and that's, you know, it's probably no coincidence that at that point, I also began to become quite interested in psychology as a subject and, uh, you know, went on to uh, major in psychology and then get involved in clinical psychology further and further. So it just kind of, I just traveled a path, I guess, every time there was a momentous decision to be made. I chose one direction and, you know, it did kind of lead me in this uh, rare um, a direction for for a person, which is basically where they they like these ideas. They they try to live the life of the mind to some degree. Um, you know, sort of uh, try to transcend some of the societal values that we have going on, or the or the social problems that we have going on, and you know, live better, um, be happier, make uh, good decisions when it comes to issues of democracy and leadership, and so on and so forth. So, I could uh, I could write a paper on this question, but uh, I I think I will stop there and and see where you want to go.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you sharing a bit of, about yourself. If you can think back to that first philosophy class, that's that's awesome that you were able to take a philosophy class in high school. Was there any particular thinker or ideas or or a book that that really sparked your interest?
1: Not necessarily. A book. I mean, you know, clearly, folks have been terribly influenced by, you know, Plato's Republic and uh, you know Aristotle's Ethics and uh, uh, these types of things. Um, maybe, maybe because I wasn't extremely academically capable or used to rigor in junior college, I I didn't uh, delve into, you know, a book that made a big difference. Uh, but I will say that. Idea-wise, I was I, – the thing that I mainly picked up from that class, which, um, you know, my philosophy professor was, you know, he had like a long white beard and he was Irish and Irish-American and he had a, a PhD, which is not necessarily typical in junior college. So I thought this guy was just the best. Uh, he had like a gravitas about him. Um, I got a C in the class, <laughs> so I just I really looked up to the to the to the uh, to the man and to the subject, uh, and I think one thing that really came across clearly was one should be hesitant about believing things in tentative in their um you know their worldview, their values, um, the decisions they make, and the beliefs they adopt. Um, And I remember some quotations back from that era because, interestingly, he made us memorize quotations, um, which is probably the first and last time that that had occurred in a class. Um, And so there's one something like, uh, philosophy begins when one um, learns to doubt, especially one's cherished uh, beliefs, opinions, and axioms. I feel like that's probably Will Durant. Um, but, you know, the idea of doubting, uh, being hesitant, kind of like a uh, willingness to hold in abeyance um, your decision making, um, you know, the apparatus in your mind that would say, I need to know things. I need to know the answers to things. I want to know what's going on. I, want, I don't like ambiguity. You know, I want to know, um, feel confident, comfortable. You have to kind of um, keep that in check and manage it uh, because it becomes a kind of emotion, really. Um, That's one of the main principles of philosophy that I recall. As to uh, the second part of your question, you know, was there were there any people uh, that I you know specifically recall? Um, Yes, is the answer. And uh, no, I I can't probably specify one because it was just such. It was just such a broad. education in regard to you know there's so many people out there um, who I tended to study the the western tradition more than anything which I guess is kind of typical and, and and I'm not you know myopic I don't think that the western tradition is the only thing there is but I think it's uh well worth learning and I think there are great books and I think there are great ideas and I think that uh, you know that that holds great power to, to learn about those things and, and to know thyself, so to speak, which is kind of a Socratic dictum. Um, but yeah, just all kinds of, all kinds of folks.
0: Well, I I love it. And you, you mentioned something in there about ambiguity and and doubt and uncertainty, not necessarily something that we get too excited about. And, um, and that may be true for the listeners as well, so I may have to apologize to the listeners because that was the primary area I wanted to focus, focus on for the for the conversation. Uh, your book covers a lot of ground. As the listeners to this show know, we've been asking, you know, coming up on 100 people, you know, what is wisdom? It's, it's such a, a broad topic, and, and you do yeah, a great yeah. job in the book really, really covering so many different areas. Thank you, thank you. But one chapter really focuses on skepticism and and doubt. So I thought we could spend some some time there and we'll we'll see where see where it leads us. but but maybe to begin, what is skepticism? How does it connect with with wisdom in your view?
1: I think it's sort of the uh, the tree from which wisdom could possibly grow. Um, you know, yes, there is a way in which one can, um, you know, arrive at a belief, um, without really being skeptical about that belief. But, but I think that in that case, it's almost like a little, um, pet idea, a predilection, a preference, an opinion, something along these lines, something that you, know, you could, you can, Believe it if you want. Obviously, some people they they balloon that concept uh, into having a whole, um, you know, dogma that they believe in, uh, a set of principles that have been passed down through the centuries from prophets and religious thinkers and gods, even. Um, and they believe those things, and that's and that's good. That's fine. However, I think you know. If skepticism or wisdom sort of represents a tree, you know, it's it's only you're only going to be able to get to that fruit if it goes through the the long, um, somewhat um, careful and rigorous process of being subjected to doubt and skepticism. Um, I, I do think that it's fair to say that you know beliefs should be believed. Um, and opinions should be held, worldviews should be adopted, you know, to the degree that they are resting on something substantive and well-considered, uh, well well-thought-out. Uh, well uh, critical thinking is a thing because if we don't think critically, we're just thinking. And the human brain and mind is our – is slash our – very powerful, almost um, tricky or um, it's just it's just funny it behaves in a funny way. People believe things that are absolutely not true and yet they still have tremendous amount of confidence in those beliefs
0: you know if we think about in in daily life someone today navigating in the world, you know what does skepticism look like any examples come to mind
1: yeah i like i like that uh question because the, my my book is you know i'm not a professional philosopher um psychologists obviously have studied wisdom and you know hold phd's and are just you know i have a lot of respect for those individuals i love the liberal arts the social sciences um so i think the best that i did in my book was kind of give flavors and, you know, try to sketch what it, quote, looks like, uh, you know, wisdom, um, truth, and, and then all of the constituents of it that I get into, such as, you know, this chapter we're talking about here, doubt, skepticism, and intellectual humility. Uh, also, there's chapters, you know, such as empathy and compassion, um, patience and delaying gratification, um, you know, uh, generosity, love, service to others, um, things like this. So I think uh, what, it, what it looks like in everyday life is really kind of the heart of the book, ideally. Um, and I share some of my own personal um, remembrances of times in the past when I was, you know, when I sort of came to the point where I learned something about myself or about the world or about human beings that I categorized in my head as being wisdom. If I have not yet uh, you know jettison that idea then I consider it to be you know fairly tried and true um approaching wisdom, let's say, so I was more than happy to share those remembrances and and opinions and ideas with with readers but uh you know clearly there's the religious sphere when it comes to what skepticism looks like uh there's the political sphere um there's the Sphere of you know the the intrapersonal one, let's say uh, what you believe about yourself and uh, you know your relationships, the the values you hold. Um, um, obviously, a lot of folks have a um, kind of like unquestioning acceptance and love for for the country in which they live, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, any of those areas can be subjected to more or less skepticism. You know, just to put it plainly, skepticism to me is basically the idea that you um, you regard uh, potential facts or opinions or ideas, um, theories, with uh, a tentativeness, a hesitancy to believe it. It's almost as though you're sitting there with your arms crossed saying, okay, show me that this is the truth. You know, demonstrate it to me. What evidence is there? Uh, Might you be wrong? Might I be wrong? Uh, How do I know that that whatever we're talking about is is reliable? How about something you mentioned
0: early on, you know, know thyself connected with with Socrates and supposedly inscribed at the Oracle at, at Delphi. I wonder, like when it comes to skepticism and doubt, can we know ourselves or maybe even another example of something uh, obviously you wrote a book about about virtue and your you know you have a a website values of the the wise i'm very much proponent of virtues and something we talk about here on the podcast quite a bit but it's like can we know that you know the stoics might say virtue is the only good i don't know if we get curious around these things like can can we know ourselves can we know for sure that virtue is you know is is the path to the good life how do we know anything
1: this is a complicated uh question in a complicated area um philosophy is is not simple um you know i i think it was somebody like tennyson or um Kipling or somebody said, um, philosophy colon the purple bullfinch in the lilac tree, which as you may know, if you know either of those things, a purple bullfinch is purple and a lilac tree has purple flowers. So it's uh, it's a way to kind of, you know, satirically point out that, you know, philosophy has its strengths and its weaknesses and, and it's almost always a, a, a challenging process. Um, people should be arguing in philosophy. Um, and I don't necessarily mean, uh, you know, obviously the epitome of of argument and uh, whatever the noun for pedantic is. <laughs> I can't think of it at the moment. Um, they, you know, in the 20th century, the philosophers in America were well known to, you know, be into... Analytic philosophy, they would argue about words and, uh, you know, quibble and nitpick. And it's almost as though they were just sort of lost in the, you know, in the weeds. Um, a real myopic, impractical, uh, way of philosophizing. And, and, and it didn't really serve humanity. Uh, and uh, someone once said, there's, empty is the argument of of the philosopher which does not relieve some human suffering and you know philosophers i think if they're quote in their ivory towers debating things back and forth trying to you know be the most scholarly and well regarded of all of their peers or whatever it doesn't serve humanity because we, you know we have big problems as a species uh, as a country as a you know as a world and if the philosophers aren't helping us much that's a that's a terrible pity. Um, they might be teaching students one class in philosophy, but if the students don't care about it much and the professors argue with each other mostly, that's just that's a terrible shame. So you know all this is kind of to say that what you talk about is when you talk about how do we know, can we really know ourselves? Do we really know if virtue is better? These things are absolutely debatable. kind um, of it kind of depends on who you ask. And if you've asked 100 people on your podcast, then I'm probably the 100th answer. <clears throat> um, you know, David Hume would be maybe the flag bearer for the, for, for let's say like uber skepticism or skepticism for skepticism's sake. And, yeah, you know, I think I, I memorized that as he went so far as to say, can you know that the sun will rise tomorrow? Um, the answer to, to that question, according to you know the very skeptical perspective, would be, no, you you, know, you cannot know that. And the, the practical philosopher, the person who values, um, you know, Farnese's practical wisdom would say, that's ridiculous. We have to base our lives on the fact that, of course, the sun is going to rise tomorrow. We might be wrong in some sense. You know, maybe uh, a nuclear holocaust happens overnight and we never reach tomorrow. But... We have to sort of live as if the sun rises. And so, you know, I don't think that one can prove that we can know ourselves or that knowing ourselves is useful or that virtue is better than vice or lack of virtue or what have you, or that flourishing and uh, eudaimonia is a good thing. Um, but let's let's live as if those things are true and let's accept, you know, a 99% confidence uh, You know, interval and the idea that, you know, maybe, maybe we can't know it in the sense that we know something such as two plus two equals four. But, uh, you know, if you know that a piece of music is beautiful and that you love it and that it has merit, it doesn't really matter what David Hume would have said about it. You see what I'm saying? Uh, If you're asking my opinion, can we know ourselves is virtue better? I would say yes to all of those questions, maybe with a bit of a footnote along the lines of but let's hold on to those uh, conclusions tentatively be open to new evidence um, and really only believe in in such things based on uh, you know the utility of it or the evidence for it or you know the practical results um, you know how well it it. Um, Kind of pencils out, you know. To use a um, investing metaphor, it's like if, if the deal works, the deal works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So, with Kant and uh, you know deontology, for example, it's like if you if you believe that lying is wrong, then don't lie. Um, is it absolutely true that lying is always wrong? You know, no, probably not. But you can live a very full and good life believing that uh, lying is wrong or that. Uh, eating animals is wrong or that, uh, you know, cheating on your taxes is wrong or, you know, a list of, of uh, things that you hold to be your, you know, your moral values, your, your ethical theories, just find something, get behind it, be consistent, be, be passionate about it, but also, you know, accept that none of this stuff is carved in stone, you know, I think the at the highest, highest level, things like truth, justice, goodness, and wisdom are carved in stone. Um, those things are absolutely true and, and viable and and superior, and they exist. So let's believe in those things.
0: Is there any benefit, I wonder, like, as you mentioned, you talked about the, the footnote of believing, but also at the same time having some some openness, whether it's knowing yourself to stick with the examples of knowing yourself and, and virtue i don't know I, I wonder is there some importance of of knowing that it that you're operating on a on a belief or or faith you know knowing that coming to the realization that you can't have necessarily certainty on the cardinal virtues being the path to the good life we can look back and read a a canon and, you know, thousands of wise thinkers who, who might stress that, but I don't know, is there a a benefit? I think uh, to butcher a Socrates quote of something along the lines of, you know, wisdom beginning by realizing that we, we don't quite know fully, like, how does that to throw out a difficult question? I, I apologize, but you know, how do we, we navigate that in in daily life for someone someone listening and, and charting out their path moving moving forward i th-
1: i think there really is a merit to on the one hand uh, getting to know yourself accessing your you know your your deepest um, values beliefs longings desires uh, you know everybody's made differently due to genetics environment and choice um, if it, if it floats your boat, then ask yourself, does it hurt anybody else? If not, then that's great. Go for it. Uh, that's your thing. You know, feel it. You know, if you want to become a monk and become a monk, uh, you know, if you, if you think that, uh, trying to reach the pinnacle of, you know, your corporation and become the CEO someday is, is what really moves you and gets you out of bed and, and just fires you then do that um, you know Socrates was was absolutely famous notorious maybe for saying to, to folks who thought that they knew themselves or the values um, that they espoused or, or certain maybe um, beliefs or political positions he would challenge them as though he was a horsefly he would say you know well what about this or consider this perspective how do you know that? Uh, didn't you just contradict yourself? Um, so there really is a reasonable type of skepticism. One can subject their own um, belief system, value system to. Um, it, you know it's complicated to know what justice is. For example, um, in a given case, um, and every given case is different and you know to some degree the the time and the place matters. the context, I, mean, I think contextualism is an important phenomenon that we shouldn't forget about. Um, but just kind of in general, um, go with what feels right to you and then subject it to a proper skepticism. Uh, in that case, you'll be sort of, um, it's as though you have a, a Bunsen burner and this, this liquid in a, a beaker and you're, you're burning off the liquid. If the liquid is, let's say, tap water, You know what's left is going to be just uh, some powder that is basically minerals. The impurities uh, are left behind. But in this um, metaphor, you know, it's you've burned off everything else, and what's left is what is important. Um, So I wouldn't consider them to be impurities. I'd say you know that's the good stuff is what you've what you've um, distilled your uh, belief system, set of values, um, worldview. Political ideology, religious belief system—that you've, you've sort of um, really thought about it over and over again, and you've subjected it to conversations with other folks, folks who don't necessarily believe how you believe, um, gone through some challenges, uh, you know, f- folks who were properly, if I could use that phrase, or let's say properly justified in their um, religious belief system, their spirituality—they didn't, uh, you know find it written on a on a um a fortune cookie you know uh they have gone through challenges and they've doubted um it's like a crucible of doubt is is how you should be thinking of your religion you know i don't think it's appropriate to just absorb what you are being told from your pastor named john or you know rebecca or whatever and be like what they're telling me Makes perfect sense. I love it. Um, you know, I'm I'm all into it. Or if you're, you know, Jewish, we've been doing this for five thousand years. I mean, we're good. We got it. You know, you need to go further than that and subject it to, uh, you know, a, a fair and um, well-intentioned, uh, you know, doubt where you you ask questions. How do I know this is true? Um, what alternatives are there? Um, how confident can I be in this? Um, What is it? What would it mean if I were wrong about this? You know, questions such as this.
0: I like it. You, I, I jotted down a quote that you write in the, in the book. Um, You talk about how your point of view comes down on the side that holds that wisdom is only gained through doubt and mental rigor. Is this the mental rigor that you're talking about this distilling it down and, and making it your own?
1: Yes, that's that's the mental rigor, and it's it's something that I think is advisable. But in recommending, um, you know, stout skepticism, intellectual humility, um, uh, and mental rigor, I would I would say it's not necessarily the easy path. Um, I guess the hardest path would be just being lost um, and experiencing some sort of sense of. I mean, the folks who commit mass shootings, they're completely lost. You know, they're, they're lost in their emotions, their anger. They they feel, you know, belittled and, and helpless and hopeless and they act out. That's probably the worst. Next in line might be, you know, you believe things um, that you've been told or taught and you're not exactly sure of those things. You're happy with them, but it is the way it is. You know, maybe uh, some of the religions that are particularly strict, you know, religious sects that say, you're a woman. You're supposed to walk behind me, or when I say you get pregnant, you get pregnant. Um, things like this um, that would be um, a kind of, uh, um, I don't know, objectionable belief, a way of believing in a higher power or um, you know spirituality. As you go up the ladder, you know you start to think I've I've been through some some stuff with my belief system. I've doubted it. I've I've strayed. I've, you know, had times when I just, I cried. I was so unsure or I couldn't understand why I would be asking God for something. He wouldn't be answering me, et cetera, et cetera. And you really, you work through it and you arrive at something that makes sense to you and that you believe in. You know, my wife is just absolutely convinced that God exists. She uh, prays to him, I don't know if "him" is the right word. I think she thinks it's more of like a force, but she does use Catholic Christianity as a way to to approach the, the infinite or whatever you would call God. Um, and it, you know, I would never want to take that from her. I, I sometimes tease her a tad, but uh, it works for her because it's it's well conceived. You know, she she'll say something like, "Yeah, of course I believe in birth control." Like, you know, maybe shake her head like, "Gosh, you know the." Catholic dogma about birth control is silly, you know. Whatever, just kind of like well thought out um, belief system that provides meaning for her, that doesn't harm anybody else, and that uh, provides um, satisfaction and consolation and uh, a structure. Humans really do like structure, and it's it's probably harder to, uh, you know, at this highest level, in my opinion, to be agnostic and to be politically moderate and not really have tribal membership or um, not really get a lot of support, respect, or adulation from other people um, in society. It's, it's kind of the way of self-actualization and uh, you know, the way of the strong, I would say.
0: How did you see uh, skepticism just connecting with basic humility? You mentioned intellectual humility, um, there's a quote in the book from Epictetus that's that's really popular. It's impossible for someone to learn what they think they already know. Could we think about skepticism as just there's still more to learn? There's a you know a thread of just basic standard humility in there, or is that too simplified?
1: No, I think it is um, what the philosophers would call epistemic humility. Epistemology is the study of, of knowledge, how we know things, uh, you know, put in its simplest form. And, uh, you know, if it's difficult to know what is true, like capital T true, um, which is, we didn't really label it as such, but we've been discussing truth uh, a lot throughout this uh, um, dialogue um, and then, of course, some of the small t truths, um, you know, maybe the findings of a scientific study is a small t truth. You know, it's the the folks who have performed r- rigorous analysis, accompanied by statistics, and you know, a, a thorough grounding in what folks before them have have thought and done and found that holds holds water. It has merit, but it's a small t truth. Um, so I think I think, you know, when you look at all of the evidence that folks can be wrong, uh, in fact the Dunning-Kruger effect in psychology indicates that the more wrong you are, the more confident you tend to be. You know, this these blowhards who think they know everything uh about one topic or another. Typically in nowadays it involves like political, cultural topics of of debate. They feel like they know everything and if really subjected to you know a, f- a fine analysis you would you would realize that they're sort of they're being they're not being humble enough they haven't they haven't the the um ground on which their beliefs are based or um their thinking rests is really more like sand than bedrock uh, and yet ironically they're so confident about it um you know. And there's an the interesting quote by Voltaire. Um, if somebody can, I think this is my, maybe I should say I'm paraphrasing him. If, if somebody can make you believe absurdities, they can make you commit atrocities. So the person who can be, uh, you know, influenced by propaganda or conspiracy theories or tribalism or, you know, simple ideology, they can be made to believe those things like that. And, it it, it reaches absurd levels at times, and then they're only one step away from committing an absurdity from uh, committing an atrocity. Um, So that's as far as I'll go into politics um, at your, at your request. Uh, However, in the book I do get into, you know, many examples of, of um, these things that, that come to us from politics and, and economics uh, and so on, because I think those are interesting cases in point. Um, but anyway, um, you know, just in general, I think if you have a humble attitude about what you know or what you think you know, it makes it a lot easier, frankly, um, to be around you. <laughs> uh, makes it easier for you to change, to grow. Um, you know, Churchill: um, if you can't change yourself, you can't change anything. Um, and yet, some people they hold on so tightly to what they believe. The the uh, the content of what they believe you know the the minutiae, the little belief systems uh, that they've come to know over the years they hold on to it rigidly
0: well, let me ask to to stay with this if, if we're thinking about maybe navigating a balance between doubting and knowing, how does someone know that they're too far on the side of doubting they're too much of a a skeptic is it possible to go too far
1: (laughs) i don't think it happens in modern america uh not really you know uh even the dalai lama who is you know he just exudes wisdom he kind of does think he knows what he knows you know what i mean uh he's not plagued by doubt (laughs) um he's you know in fact buddha you know yes buddha said that the answers lie within and that you shouldn't take my word for it. But, you know, he didn't fail to come up with a, uh, you know, a belief system and a set of steps and you know what I mean? So I don't think anybody is really, uh, lost in doubt. Um, I think there is a, there is a, um, tradition in philosophy to be, uh, skeptical just because, you have, you're like obsessed with skepticism, you know, with saying, are we even, are we even awake right now? (laughs) Are we having a dream? Am I having a dream that I'm talking to you and I'm, or am I just a disembodied human brain in a, in a vat of liquid with, you know, all these little electrodes coming off of it and whatever these mad scientists walk around and look at everybody's brain, you know, like something out of the X-Files. It's like, we can probably dispense with that. Um, You know, maybe if we, Work at Cambridge as a philosopher—that might be interesting to talk about. But you know, we got we got more interesting things to think about. I think uh, you know the trolley problem in philosophy, right? That thought experiment—I'm um, sure you've discussed it on your podcast. Um, maybe some of your listeners know of it. I mean, that's a rich vein of ethics that is very fruitful to get into, rather than something sort of abstruse like, "Are we are we really here? Are we really having this conversation?" can we really know anything is everything futile? You know, we're talking about nihilism. That's, that's kind of a cul-de-sac, at least in the, in the practical sense, in the real world, it's not going to help Americans do better than we've been doing lately. Yeah. Uh, but let
0: me ask, as we start to, to wrap up, I want to talk about happiness here. You have, you have a quote in the book from, uh, I may pronounce this incorrectly, but from Ernest Dimnet, the author of Art of Thinking. And it says, our ancestors were happier than we are. The less one knows, the happier one is. And that, that seems counterintuitive. I'm just curious if you had any thoughts to uh, elaborate on that.
1: Yes, I did bring that up Um, from time to time in the book. I like to bring up a a, a view that I don't necessarily subscribe to or a quote that I don't necessarily love, Um, you know, maybe for the purposes of, um, I don't know, creating like a bit of a contrast or, um, I don't know, like St. Augustine, for example, said, faith is to believe what we do not see. And the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. I put that in there not because I think that is, advisable or true but because it's in it's an interesting counterpoint or you know it kind of creates the entire panorama let's say to be like well here's here's a different way of looking at things so you know it's been a while since I've read Denman's book and I, I can't say that I do or do not you know appreciate his his book or his, the theories in his book I do know that that quotation is interesting maybe. Maybe it doesn't like, sometimes when I, when I read a quote, it's sort of like hitting a gong with a mallet, you know, it's like, wow, I I love that. I believe in it I I absolutely feel that deeply. Um, You know, one, for example, um, how about um, Daniel Kahneman, the well-known psychologist, our comforting conviction that the world makes sense rests on a secure foundation our almost unlimited ability to ignore our ignorance. I mean, that's really, that's a beautiful concept um, and well put. And so that, I hear a gong when when I read that. The Dimna quote, um, a little more um, questionable. Uh, you know, I, I think it's true to say that um, we've kind of gotten ourselves into a bit of a fix in society. Um, you know, we're talking about billionaires traveling in space. Uh, we're talking about um, nearly destroying our environment. We're talking about maybe entering the metaverse or virtual reality in the future. Um, you know, uh, tribalism just kind of run amok. So clearly something in, in modern society, at least in America, um, is not working right. And we probably would have been happier at times in the past. Um, whether we were, Happier when we were, let's say, um, you know, maybe a million years ago, uh, you know, gathering berries or something. I don't know if we were happier then. If that was a true type of happiness, maybe we were unhappy because we had, you know, a kidney stone, and we're like, "What the hell is that?" I don't know what I'm feeling. This is not good. Um, you know, those folks tended to die when they were like 30. So I'm not sure if happier is is the ideal. Way to look at it, but I do think that modern society is really weird. Um, as Martin Luther King put it, um, we've got guided missiles and misguided men. You know, um, it's it's as though we've. I think it was E.O. Wilson who who said this, The weird thing about humans is that we're having to deal with is that we've got you know a Paleolithic brain, medieval institutions, and modern technology. See, so when you combine all that, you know, our brain is really just a lizard brain with a more sophisticated brain on top of it. So, you know, I think there's a lot of evidence that we're, we're just not really quite ready for the progress that has occurred in the last, um, I don't know, 4,000 years or 7,000 years, something like that. We went from, uh, you know, agriculture and, and domesticating animals to where we are right now very fast. Especially on an evolutionary scale, and I think there's evidence that we're that we're slipping and sliding. Um, so maybe we we're happier. I I think there's probably something to the idea that um, you know the more you know, um, let's say the person who reads a lot of news and you know delves into facts about the world, or whatever you know, they're probably going to be a little less happy than the person who's just simply listening to music at that time, or um, you know. Engaging in sex, or eating a wonderful meal, or engaging in conversation with the with the child or, or a spouse—that's kind of where happiness is more easily found than in some of these other things. But you know, I guess what we're discussing here today is that you know, you, you can't just put everything on autopilot and you know go where your where your uh, emotions take you or where, 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 where feel where the place that feels correct, because uh, like I said, lizard brain. With the more sophisticated brain wrapped around it. So, just to a large degree, you know, we are basically like chimpanzees plus one, you know. And if we don't try to exercise the more rational and executive parts of our brain as much as possible, we're really, we're really going to miss the boat. We're probably going to shoot somebody in the head or we're going to, you know, accidentally, uh, you know, clone mankind uh, or we're going to, uh, you know, let a new pandemic go from a rat to to a human, or other things that are just kind of wacky and misguided. You know, a lot of people, for example, they think that becoming wealthier is the most important thing they can do because it, because they'll be much happier when they're wealthy. And evidence tends to show that's not probably true. They might be as happy as they currently are, or a little less happy. But so I think we need to subject. Uh, almost everything to as much rational um, analysis and reconsideration and these types of things as possible.
0: I was thinking about that quote uh, a little bit though. And I, I wonder, um, you know, as we talked about in the very beginning of the conversation, sometimes at first glance, like ambiguity and uncertainty from an evolutionary thing, we, we don't care for it. But I do think there is a, at some point in time, if you can navigate beyond that, I don't know. I tend to think maybe there is a bit more happiness. If we think on one side certainty and on the other side, instead of uncertainty, maybe just replace it with the word wonder, it can be a much more enjoyable place to to navigate the world. I, I think of people of the past that you maybe look up in the sky. And we know a lot more that's going on up there now today, but I don't know, does that take away a bit of the, of the wonder from a thousand years ago when people looked up in the sky?
1: Yeah. One th- one thing I thought when you were saying that was I, I would predict that the person who was the most confident is probably the most content because they feel like they've checked that box, you know they've they've figured that out, um, and then of course some people they make a, a habit out of trying to do that in every area of their life. Um, I think that's probably a tempting thing to do, but um, I think a lot of error can can come from that, and it can be very unwise to you know quote foreclose on some of these um, contentious or dubious or um, these issues that that are arguable and that are complicated. If we if we uh, get concrete with our belief system, or or you know, then I think it might be more comfortable. But one's going to be a lot more um, error prone in that sense. So, me being an agnostic, for example, I think it's not really that fun. It might be better to belong to the atheist camp. Because they they they're sort of like a tribe, right? They think that Christians are wacky or whatever, or that believing in God is unfounded. Um, and then, of course, you know the the believers. You could have it could go from zealous to confident or happy or whatever. And those folks probably are a little more it's like mollified or or um, contented because they found something to believe in that really works for them and gives their life meaning. Agnostics have to sort of be comfortable with the idea that. There is meaning in uh, choosing not to decide. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the song "Free Will" by Rush, but if not, go look it up. It's it's a really interesting look at you know basically the lyricist says, "I will I will choose free will." In other words, I will I will come to believe that I am not dancing on the end of, of a puppet's a puppet master's strings, and that everything is decided for me, and that all the rules have already been. You know, crystallized, and and that I, you know, all I have to do is read it in the book. It's like I'm going to choose free will. Whether or not um, Neil Peart, the lyricist of that song, was happy, I don't know. It seems as though he was, um, but I, you know, I don't know if he would have been happier or less happy if he were more confident or less confident about some of these things he believed. But one thing you can say about Peart is that he definitely looked into things. He was a constant reader. He was very mentally vivacious, always talking with people and, and, um, debating and learning and going out and experiencing. And I think one could hardly do better than that.
0: Well, our time is, is flown by. Uh, I appreciate you coming on to chat about the book. Um, where do you point people interested in and learning more about you, the book? And if you could talk a little bit about your, your website and this quote database that you have as well, I think that would be great.
1: No, thanks. Um, so since 2004, I've been interested in cataloging or, um, collecting, um, doing various things with, uh, you know, these values, um, what I call values of the wise, meaning what in my opinion are some of the values that wise people, um, would be, you know, moved by, find meaning in, cherish, love, and, 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 and and can benefit from. So, you know, they're, they're pretty standard values. Um, you know, you got your truth, justice, and, um, creativity and, um, dedication, things that are kind of inarguably virtues and, and maybe some other things like humor or, um, progressivism, integration, um, magnanimity. So it's just, it's just my take, my theory on, what wisdom is based on, you know, who are these wise people and and what can we learn from them? So I put together uh, this thing I call the Wisdom Archive. It is a uh, searchable database of quotations. Um, I got uh, 36,000 of them at this time. And I categorize each of them, that, you know, according to, based on my opinion, um, you know, what's the gender of the person who said the, the quote. Um, obviously, you got the name of the person each of the words in the quote are searchable or, you know, identifiable um, where the person is generally from kind of like sort of like a Western versus non-Western way to, to slice it. Um, and uh, so if one is interested in, you know, thinking about some of these topics we've been discussing or other things in philosophy and psychology, personal growth, um, just go to the website valuesofthewise.com and then under resources, you know, yes, I've got a blog and podcasts and whatever, but there's also this this uh, searchable quotations database. It's very simple, it's free, there's no ads. Um, and so it's kind of a good resource for writers or people who want to think or learn more about an individual. You know, maybe you want to know more about Voltaire. Maybe you want to know about African-Americans who spoke about justice uh, or maybe, you know, uh, Asian and Indian females who talked about, uh, you know, transcendence. I don't know, whatever. You can just kind of mix and match um, all of the fields and the criteria and, and see what you get. And, you know, each search is, is, is kind of different based on what you would specify. And you can just go through them one by one. If you don't like it, skip it. If you like it, then, you know, write it down, copy it, uh, do what you want with it. Um, et cetera. Well, cool.
0: Lots of hours. I'm sure invested in that. Appreciate you sharing it with the listeners. We'll link it in the show notes. I highly encourage you to check it out. Uh, Jason Murchie, thank you so much for coming on in search of wisdom. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life, right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. Until next time, be wise and be well.